The Theonauts 118. The one where God catches Satan with a bait and switch. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hey, all you Theo recapitulators out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. I'm Jack Neal. And I'm Riley Neal. And all together we are... The The Theonauts! (laughs) (laughs) That was terrible. (laughs) That was the worst one we've done so far. It might just be be because of the new guys, but man, that was... Yeah, you threw us off. Hey, don't pin that on us, man. Hey, we tried. We we have two-fifths of the Neal family here. That's right. Where's the other... What is it, three quarters? <laughs> you tell me, Jeremiah. <laughs> so I'm not the math major, Riley. <laughs> oh, well. Hi, everyone. Yeah, so the Neils are here. Yes. Jack and Riley, back from uh, uh, Chris, back college. Before Christmas break from college. Yeah. And, uh, not technically college, but, you know. <laughs> the academy. Back from the academy. I'm just being, yeah, I'm just being weird. <laughs> Plebe. Back from plebe life, right? Cleave status. Yes. And then uh, and then Riley, back from being a bear for a little bit. Being a bear. <laughs> so welcome, guys. Thanks, guys. We're excited to have you here as we discuss this ever yes. interesting well, I think, topic. I think this was actually Riley's idea, wasn't it? It was. I feel like there are a couple <laughs> different directions you could go with this topic, though, and we're just going to scratch the surface. Oh, man. I doubt we even get that. That I mean, far. I don't yeah. think we even mentioned limited atonement at this point. So. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's not go over that way. <laughs> How dare you even say that? Limited atonement. Stuff. We're, we're talking about today, we're going to talk about different atonement theories, right? Yeah. Atone means to make right. Is that correct? Sort Something of. Something like that. Good. Yeah. Basically. Theories of the cross. How's that? Right. Theories of the cross. So, um, I guess... The biggest question I have with this whole thing, yeah, being at one or to make harmony. I looked it up. I looked up the word atonement. Good. And it means at one meant being at one or in harmony. Oh, gotcha. Yes. At one, at one meant. Atonement. At one meant. That's cool. You can use that next time you're preaching. People can't be in harmony over it. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously, that's that's a good point, Jack. So there are so many different theories out there. We need to get all these Christians to atone, man. Yeah. Back whenever, (laughs) back when I started looking at this, I realized I I first thought there was like maybe one two ideas of this whole atonement theory, but Mm -hmm. it's like opening up uh, Pandora's box. Over nine (laughs) thousand. Seriously, it's crazy, (laughs) and some of these like are just way out there, like just nuts. But anyways, there's uh, not a lot of information on some of them at all. No, like (laughs) we got several we're going to talk about. I think we should end this show by creating our own new theory of the atonement. (laughs) That's a great idea. So, yeah, what does it mean? I guess my biggest question, going back to what I was saying, I guess the biggest question I have is, what were we saved from and what were we saved to? Yeah. So that's that's the number one thing. We've got all this mm-hmm. 
all this language in scripture that is like um, redemption, right? Redeemed. Well, what is that? That implies, if you think about it, redeem. What do you redeem? You redeem coupons. You re- it's it's like <laughs> it, it, it's like a it has a commercial like thing to it. Right. Even Jesus's last words on the cross, "It is finished," was the Greek word "tetelestai," "tetelio," which was which means paid in full in our modern day lingo. Ooh, paid in full. So that right. might fit one of these theories that we're looking at. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Well, okay. So, um, how are we going to do this? There's so many different, <clears throat> so many different theories out there. And David was reading down this gigantic list. <laughs> of uh, of of interesting things, and there are a couple that I, I really some of them to hit on. We just have a couple, probably a few words to say on that. That's right, it. right. Because there's no scripture. Like I didn't find yeah. some of these people didn't have any scriptures or anything. It was just kind of like this it's is like, what I think happened. It's like this one guy. Like this is what he thinks back in like the 1600s. <laughs> this is what he believed. Yeah. That's all it was. <laughs> So do you want to go so back to like where the, do we want to start? Do we want to? We originally we're going to divvy this up. Right. We never. And then did. you started claiming all of them. I, I claimed two. <laughs> I, I just claimed two. The most important one. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. So let's discuss. Let's go with ransom, right? Okay. And then move on. Christus Victor, which is your big city on a hill to die on, and then uh, <laughs> I'm not dying on any of these. Hills. <laughs> That's right. Oh, I'm just being devil's advocate because uh, I don't want this to be a slanted show. So. <laughs> well, big, big misnote before we start. There are so many different theories out there, and if we step on anybody's toes, we are totally sorry. But call, on, just call in and tell us, right? So we can put you on the air, exactly. <laughs> and let us know what we got wrong about your theory, or what we got right about your theory, or if you have some zany theory, let us know. But let's start with this whole idea of a ransom theory, since you brought it up. A ransom to who, Jeremiah? That's a great question, Riley. So <laughs> let me pull well, up what I what have. What is on a that. ransom? What does a ransom even mean? Ransom means payment, right? Or let's imagine that you get kidnapped. The ransom would be what what you get paid. And I have this taken or, off my thing. So you have criminals and they abduct some hostages and they <laughs> want a ransom to get them to back. To give them back. Right. So Ooh, that would fit into another one pretty nice. I think I know what you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, this is the ransom theory. The theory claims that Adam and Eve were sold. Uh, um, Adam and Eve sold humanity over to the devil, right? Yeah. At a time, uh, at the time of the fall. Okay. Justice required that God pay the devil a ransom to free them from the devil's clutches. So it's this old idea that. God ransomed <clears throat> humanity from the clutches of the devil. This was the original ransom theory from from what I'm getting. All right. Um, God, however, tricked the devil. God is wily. And he tricked the devil into accepting Christ's death as a ransom, for the devil did not realize that Christ could not be held in the bonds of death. Once the devil accepted Christ's death as a ransom, the theory concluded justice was satisfied and God was able to free us from Satan's grip. Okay, so this is a lot like one I read about in my theology class this year. I believe it's Gregory of Nyssa, a church father, but it might it might be the other Gregory. I'm not sure, but this is called the fishhook theory in his yes. view. And so 
Jesus gets, he's, he's divine. He gets clothed in flesh. It's like the bait on the fish hook. And so Satan swallows him, but it turns yeah. out he's sharp inside and he rips his way out <laughs> of the grave and tears Satan up from the inside out. Right. He can't hold him. So for three days, Satan thought he'd won. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, this is uh, a quote from St. Gregory of Nyssa. Uh, in order to secure that the ransom on our behalf might be easily accepted by Satan who required it, deity must uh, deity was hidden under the veil of our nature. So that, so in other words, God hid Christ <laughs> under the veil Sin of nature. In Christ. the human fish bait. Right. <laughs> that so, as with ravenous fish, the hook of the deity might be gulped down yes. along with the bait of flesh. And thus, life being introduced into the house of death, the light shining into darkness, at which is dramatically opposed to life, and light, uh, light and life might vanish, for it is not the nature of darkness to remain when light is present, or of death to exist when life is active. Follow mm-hmm. me, and I will make you fishers of Satan. <laughs> yeah. So this whole idea is that, and this was not just uh, Saint Gregory's uh, belief; it was also Origen. Um, Origen was one of the biggest proponents of this. So yeah. this is this is going back to the very beginning of atonement theory, if you yeah. want to call it. Um, this whole idea of the ransom. <clears throat> to whom did Christ give his life as a ransom for many? Assuredly not to God. Could it not be then to the evil one? For he was holding us fast until the ransom should be given him, even the life of Jesus. Satan being deceived with the idea that he could have dominion over it and not seeing that he could not bear the torture in retaining it. So in other words, the idea is that death or Satan or sin could not hold Christ. But Christ basically is like a bomb. This is the best (laughs) picture I can imagine, right? Like the the animal eats the bomb and the bomb explodes and kills the animal, right? (laughs) So that's what happened uh, in the grave with Jesus and he exploded out and uh, and saved humanity in in that way. So it's it's a ransom. So is this, uh, from what you guys have found, because this is the fishhook theory. Yes. So, but this isn't like exclusive to the quote unquote ransom theory. Right, I mean, it's a part. It's like a sub. I think it was the. Be- I would say so. Yeah. You have to have a way for your ransom theory, um, where Satan doesn't keep Jesus forever. Gotcha. Because no one says Jesus gets paid as a ransom to Satan, and Satan keeps him for all eternity. Right. Okay. That's true. Yeah, and and here's the understanding. This is where the ransom theory kind of falls flat. The, the word ransom, this idea that God has to pay. Jesus or pay Satan a ransom or God kind of rolls over. He's not like the United States who doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. pay ransom for ever. We do not negotiate with This language is like in, um, I mean, like there's this old hymn that I know all hail the power of Jesus name, you know? Oh that, yeah. That oh, what, what lyric is it? It says ye chosen seed of Israel's race. Ye ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. So, I mean, it's, uh, I'm just wondering, is that just language that is commonly used? Does this imply fish hook theory? Well, or does it, or is it just... Well, I think it's more biblical language. If you look at <clears throat> Hebrews 2.14, real quick. Uh, and the, Actually, let's look at Mark 10.45, because I have this one pulled up already. Um 
For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Okay? So even even Scripture uses this word ransom. Um, Another one would be Hebrews. Sorry, I was typing the wrong thing here. Hebrews 2. And 14. These are just two examples, but you can look all over and see. Yeah. Um, Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same, that's Jesus, that through death he might destroy him who had power over death, that is, uh, the devil. That's not the one I wanted. Yeah, this is this is the Christus Victor. Yes, that's the Christus Victor. So that's where I want to go from there because Ransom and Christus Victor to me are very closely connected. Yeah, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. We've been having this debate all day. By we the way. have been. So uh, <laughs> anything else we want to say about the Ransom theory? I don't like the word Ransom in that term. I think another con might be um, the. God's deceiving the devil. I don't. I don't know how we feel about that. Yeah. Well, he, I I don't know. He lies to him. He tricks a, him. I'm not sure how that how's that working. Yeah, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. There there are because I've heard that before, in that not necessarily God, um, playing tricks on the devil, but but that he outwits him at every turn. Okay. So for example, um, I did a study one time about. Um, Satan, everything Satan tries to do in the Old Testament to thwart the plan of God to bring Christ to fruition. And you look at all the things, the hurdles that got in the way and God's end around that led to the promises that God made, like the seed of Abraham, actually being able to happen uh, about him being the uh, root of Jesse and allowing that to actually happen. And, you know, and all these weird things and wacky things that kept happening in the house of David and, and whatnot. And uh, uh, one time I was listening to uh, Chuck Missler's uh, study on this, and he was talking about um, the place where Jeconiah um, basically refuses to give in to Babylon. And I believe it's Jeremiah that's telling him, look, dude, this is God's will. You need to let go. And but they were continuing to revolt, and through Jeremiah, God tells uh, Jeconiah, "None of your seed will ever sit on the throne again." Okay, well that was a big thing because Jeconiah is the royal line of Judah. And but if you go back and 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 you read Matthew, uh, chapter one, Keniah, Jeconiah is in that lineage that leads to Joseph. So it's like, hmm. well, wait a second. Didn't God just say that none of your seed would ever sell on the throne again? And Jesus is supposed to be the fulfillment of that. But then you go to Luke and you read chapter three and read the lineage there. Luke takes a different path from David and comes down Nathan and goes down to Eli, which is Mary's uh, dad. And so it's it's like, so the point that uh, Chuck Missler was making was that Satan thought he had victory again because he forced this play with Jeconiah, but God doesn't end around on him and still fulfills the prophecy through David's seed a different direction. Anyway, so the whole point being that that God is outwitting 
Satan, and it's not necessarily a, you know, tomfoolery type of thing. Yeah, my other my my <coughs> biggest problem with this whole thing, and I guess I don't know if this goes back to my upbringing or not, but for me, the question lies again, going back to my my original question: What are we saved from, and what are we saved to? So, what are we saved from? Are we saved from Satan? And my answer is no. We're not saved from Satan. That's not the point. I think that we're saved from the wrath of God. Yeah. You just jumped ahead 12 steps. Well, I, there are two halves of the I did, theory. but we have to go, we have to talk about this ransom thing. Yeah. So the ransom implies that God paid a ransom for something. And my, my problem with that, I, that idea, even though we do find that language in scripture, that ransom, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> is that, um, Who's the ransom being paid to and why? Exactly. My answer, I guess, would be if we if we say that, the ransom has to be paid to God. Mm. Does that make sense? Right. Because it's it's a it's a penalty for sin. Death is the penalty for sin. That's what Romans says. Right? Um, and so that penalty has to be paid. That's what I see. Anyways. Yeah, because Satan has kind of a similar deal going with God and like he can't do anything about it. Yeah, Satan to me is nothing more than God's lack boy. <laughs> so I don't want to elevate well, Satan up to that level. Uh, okay, of God I, I, at I'm all. with you. I don't want to elevate Satan up to God's level, but yeah. at the same time, I don't want to sell Satan short either, because there are warnings about Satan. There, he's a, a a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There, he has a level of power. It may not be. Um, it may not be to the power extent that he's on par with with God or anything like that, like a lot of, you know, uh, literature has kind of pitted it. Uh, but at the same time, you don't want to underestimate him either. Um, so, okay, so we want, do we want to talk about the Christus Victor thing? Yeah, you want to go, go ahead. Yeah, okay, go. so Christus Victor basically in, is... Um, kind of outside of this term atonement from everything that I've seen and, and, and listened to people that are really proponents of it in that it's not necessarily about atoning for anything or paying for anything, but the main point of the cross was to defeat evil and to, um, to fulfill the prophecy that started in Genesis three fifteen, whenever Adam and Eve were, were cast out of the garden. And you have this whole statement about the serpent and how he would um, um, harm the seed of the woman's heel, and he would crush the seed of the serpent's head. And so that being fulfilled at the cross. Mm -hmm. And I guess Christus Victor is more about the military victory of what happened at the cross. The strategery. <clears throat> right, right. <laughs> okay. So, um, and so th some of the verses that are commonly used uh, for this are to, to set up that we are in, that we are slaves to our sin, where we are, uh, our flesh is bound to it. We are, um, that we can't on our own get out of this entanglement or this slavery. 
that uh, we have suffered from the fall on. Right. And so um, there are verses like uh, some of these that we know all the time, uh, Ephesians 6 and 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Um, we have First John five nineteen says, uh, "We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one." Um, there we go. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So that's okay. Keep going. It's scripture. Well, I mean, that's it is absolutely true. <laughs> so, so um, it's very interesting to Second Corinthians four four. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. Uh, Ephesians two two says, "In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air." spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Um, but then they, they talk about the redemption from that. Galatians 1, 4 talks about Jesus who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Um, Hebrews 2, 14, which you read earlier, says uh, that he partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. I mean, those, it's almost connected. It sounds so connected to me. To the, to the ransom theory? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I, I believe it's definitely connected. The thing is, what did the difference between the theories is what did the cross do? What did it pay? Was it an, an object to try and pay for, uh, freedom or was it a crushing blow was it a destruction destroying the evil one as it says there in, in hebrews too? is it possible okay. to do both so here here's my hang up with this one though okay it seems like it's doing such a good job at describing the effect of the cross and what mm-hmm. it does and the result of it but it a lot of these theories seem to be trying to get at the mechanics of the cross. Like what exactly either using legal metaphors or whatever, what exactly is going on on the cross? And this just says, this is what the cross does. But I feel like a lot of these theories are trying to ask how, and this one doesn't give you a good picture of how. So like, right. I agree okay. with it, but is it really answering our question? And that's kind of the same way I think I am on it. Um, that I like, I don't, disagree with much of the of the mechanics of Christus Victor from what I've heard. I really don't. I I mean, I certainly believe that Satan's head was crushed at the cross. I mean, I believe that that all these things that that we're, you know, looking at here uh, occurred. Um, I guess what it is to me, and this is kind of the point I think we'll end up at the end, but just to, to is that we can't we can't say that all of the cross is embodied in this theory. Right. Like everything that happened on the cross is embodied in this theory. There, mm-hmm. It's like, um, I was listening to R.C. Sproul talk about it, and he said it's like a tapestry with multi, like, weavings in it. And so you have all these different threads that, you know, and it's not just one thread. It's a tapestry of threads that make up what happened at the cross. Right. So basically one of the things he saved us from um, 
in in this 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 theory, Christus Victor is he saved us from the slavery of this world and the ruler of this world who is Satan. Correct. So like uh, Romans six, <clears throat> I keep coming Nails back to it. Yeah. yeah, coming back to Romans six. Mm-hmm. It says, um, for the death, and this is six for starting in verse ten. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. So this idea is that he he died to sin, right? But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then keep going down, um, verse 20. You, when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but the fruit uh, you were getting at that time were the things that you were not ashamed. For the end of, the, end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin. So the thing that happened is we were set free from sin, Um we, we were set free from death. We were set right. free from Satan. And we weren't just set free from the penalty of sin, which right. would be one theory by itself, but we were set free from the effects of sin as well. Yes. This one this one uh this one does really well explaining the effects of sin, not the penalty of sin. Correct. So mm-hmm. we, it's almost a both and thing. So Chris's Victor is really good at explaining yeah. the effect, set, and being set free from I, And the I think the reason why you've got so many people that are camping <laughs> up is because I, in listening to it, like I was listening to R.C. Sproul, he had a lot of negative things to say about Chris's Victor. And I listened to a Chris's Victor guy, he has a lot of negative things to say about the satisfactory atonement stuff that we'll get to later. Mm-hmm. But, the, but it, to, to the point of even calling them so-called Christian groups. <laughs> and, I mean, it's like, okay, well, wait a second. Um <laughs> Everyone's kind of wanting to to be exclusionary mm-hmm. in their ideas of what happened at the cross instead of looking at it as a broad spectrum. The thing is, is we're trying to take these these metaphors and make them the, the truth. Yeah, trying to make yes. them perfect. You're <laughs> and everybody make... picks one. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I believe this and like all everything else is wrong. This is know? what I think happened on the cross. Right. And they use a fancy name for it too, so they sound really smart when they say it. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes down to it, it's it's like a, uh, I don't know, a layman trying to explain quantum physics or, uh, you know, a third grader trying to explain, you know, quantum mechanics, right? Same thing. You know yeah. what I so, think? Yeah. You know what I think when I think of this stuff and like how we're having so much trouble debating? I think of like whenever Paul says like the mystery of the gospel, you know, because I think like to a certain degree, we're not going to understand it perfectly. And all these people are trying to and it's not really working because... It's a mystery, you know? right? And we're jumping ahead ahead That's of true. ourselves <laughs> in doing that. But um, yeah. coming back to it, verse twenty three: the wages of sin is death; the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the idea is the price of sin is death. There's okay. So before we get into the satisfactory, yeah, thing, which we keep go? we keep leaning on. Okay, why don't we talk about some of the wacky ones? Okay, deal. Or I say wacky ones. You may not think they're wacky. You may. <laughs> Call in and You've tell got us. one more pretty big one that we haven't hit yet. That's, uh, go ahead. Moral I wanted to influence. do moral influence theory. Oh, okay, yeah. moral influence. This one is uh, okay. It's going to be pretty common today in certain streams of Christianity. But it's um, one of your big proponents is uh, Abelard, who's a scholastic medieval theologian, and what he talks about is that um, I get this quote. Um, the purpose and result of Christ's death was to influence mankind toward moral improvement um, and also love for God. So the death of Christ is this big act of love that is supposed to stir up in us um, love for God that is 
um, transformative right. in in us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there is not um, a legal thing happening on the cross. There's no penalty being paid. Um, nothing like that. You. There's no. There's not it's a ransom. It's about what you see when you look at it and how that affects right. you. And uh, to be honest, I like the moral influence theory in a way because I think that that is a part of the plan of salvation. I don't think it's exclusionary. That's the the big yeah. problem everyone's getting was it doesn't have anything to do oh, with yeah. It's atonement. definitely sanctification. Yeah, so and it's about regeneration, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we're regenerated at the cross. And so that is uh I mean, one of the things I think the whole big picture of why what happened in Eden happened was about true love and about trying to to define true love to mankind. And, uh, it, and I mean, I, I, I know I've mentioned it before on the show, but I keep going back to this goofy um, Jim Carrey movie, you know, Bruce Almighty, where at one point he's trying to make his girlfriend love him. And that was the one thing that, that God told him he couldn't do. He couldn't like force someone to love him. He had the power of God outside of that. And he's doing his best. He's looking at her going, love me. And she's like, you're crazy. And God looks at him and is like, that's the hard one, isn't it? And so I do think that the moral influence has a part to play. But once again, why does it have to be the exclusionary? It's exclusionary because you have um, a lot of people who jump onto this theory are going to be people who have a problem thinking that God would punish Jesus for us. Okay. And so you have God would never do that. He would never punish his own son. Well, I'll just... I'll just jump on the moral influence theory. Right. And that's one of the things. So that, that makes us kill Jesus and not and God. Not, not only that, this this is one that um, is a much more liberal mindset. And the reason mm-hmm. I say that is is because uh, this is one that you can jump on uh, in order to not believe in the miracles of Jesus. This is one that you can jump on in order to not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. This is one you can jump on in order to just say that basically that Jesus was a good man and tried to show us mm-hmm. a good way. And through his his love, uh, conquering all thing, dying on the cross, he gave us a great picture. And that's another theory, by the way, gave us a, a great picture of, of something to follow, this moral absolutism, right? Or this moral... Oh, idealism. example. The example theory. Yes, example theory, which is... Which is more about the obedience side of this. Right. We saw Christ do this great thing yeah. in obedience to God, so we likewise should mirror our actions after Christ, which is a true statement. Yeah. But it's like that's not the all. That's not all that's the cross was. That's not how we're saved. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> and to call this the, the problem I have is you can't call this an atonement theory. <laughs> that's true <laughs> because it's not. Well, Christus Victor technically is not atonement theory either. Right. I mean, the word atonement is kind of narrow. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Very <laughs> narrow. That's right. Uh, so salvation theory. And but redemp- it's not even redemption theory. salvation or redemption. You could kind of put it in under redemption theory. Uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. Okay, so... Uh, I uh yeah I want to talk about another one before we go on. Let's uh let's talk about the uh recapitulation. Okay. 
Yeah, since I used that blurb early on. Right. So tell me about <laughs> recapitulation. And I have some scripture here that I really, well, I really it, like. This okay, theory. the recapitulation cool. theory is basically a reset button theory. Yeah. That basically says that the work of the cross is that it reset our morals back to uh, the garden or our our God influence back to the garden. So we become just like we were under God as Adam was prior to the fall. Right. Uh, <clears throat> I like this because Romans uses this a lot, I think, mm-hmm. especially Romans chapter 4 and 5. Um, Where it talks about Adam. Yeah, it right. talks about Adam and then mm-hmm. being a type, right? Mm-hmm. And then Jesus being the second type. And then you have this whole idea of everything being fixed. You know, it's almost like as soon as the fall happened, God put in a plan to fix the or to make it like it was before, right? Yeah. To reconnect or this is, re uh here's a good little blurb in this uh I'm reading this uh dictionary of early Christian beliefs, which is like a cheap way of reading uh, the early church fathers without actually reading them. <laughs> um but it says recapitulate recapitulation refers to the summing up of all things in Christ through the incarnation by becoming human and being and living a perfect life the son restored fallen mankind to communion with God and undid the evil caused by Satan in the Garden of Eden. Irenaeus particularly developed this theme in his writings. Okay, so who was that that developed this theme? I'm sorry. Irenaeus. Irenaeus, okay. Um, so a couple of scriptures I have this uh, this great, great idea. Romans 5. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam and Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of mm-hmm. one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Uh, So this idea is Adam was a type or shadow of Jesus, Mm -hmm. right? And whereas Adam failed, Jesus uh, succeeded. So this recapitulation means to put everything in its correct order again to refit everything together. And that's what I like about this atonement theory. It's one of the, again, it's, it's one of the, uh, effects. Right. Of atonement. It's another thread in the tapestry. Right. It's another (laughs) thread in the tapestry. And what, what the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus did was he put everything back in order. Right. So if you have Christ as Lord and savior, uh, you're working to put everything back into order. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I really like that thought. That's a really cool one. I don't get why they call this one an atonement theory either. either. <laughs> well, it's one of the effects. Just like, yeah. uh, just like moral, uh, what is it? The moral, uh, not moral influence. Yeah. Moral influence. And, mm-hmm. uh, just like Christus Victor, right? <laughs> uh, these are the effects of the atonement, which is really cool. Anyways, um, what about mystical? 
Um, I you don't want have, to talk I don't about have some a whole crazy lot on that. Mystical is just basically the idea that we have a godlike nature hidden somewhere inside of us, but it's <laughs> sleep. <laughs> and that uh, that Christ on the cross awakened that in us. Well, okay. there's there's some there's some good in that I think because mm-hmm. you got um, so like Athanasius is one of the ones who talks about um, the image of God, mm-hmm. and so his his idea of the incarnation is that Christ is the perfect image of God who basically comes down to us and repaints us into a true image of God when we've gotten all messed up. And we're not representing God, right? It it also ties in a little bit with Romans 1, where it talks about, you know, that uh, we're without excuse. Right. Because we're creators, we're creation, part of the creation, and we can view creation, and so it's all there. Right. So... The way huh. you worded it, though, sounded a little funny. It's like, yeah. awaken your inner God. <laughs> the sleeper has awakened. <laughs> well, I guess... Uh, you know, it's almost recapitulation theory as well. Like it seems kind of well, they're yeah, all very close, fitting. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many that just fit together. So, all right, um, did we do one? the governmental theory yet? Yeah. No. Do you want to talk about that one? Uh, yeah, the governmental theory is just basically saying that like God makes Christ an example of suffering. Um, so like God like pins it on him to like ma- make an example out of him and say, "Look, this is like what I have to do for sin, so don't do it." <laughs> Just really legalistic. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so that's yeah, that's kind of like it's forgiveness isn't once and for all in that theory. It's like there's that law still plays a large part in that whole thing, that obedience to the law and everything. Right. So basically, the government theory was is basically that the cross illuminated the law more so than fulfilled it. Hmm. So we should obey the law then. In order to be atoned for, <laughs> or in order to not, I keep yeah. Does it kind of leave that blank? Let me see. That's weird. I, don't know. The, I can, I can see Charles uh, Finney. <laughs> article says Charles Finney is a uh, is a teacher a teacher of the governmental. It says Jonathan Edwards too. What? Yeah, that hey, makes sense. It fits it's theonomy. Jonathan Edwards is not theonomy. Get out. (laughs) So many people would disagree with you on that. Uh, Well, theonomists. Some theonomists would disagree. Yeah. (laughs) Most theonomists would disagree because he was a... uh, There's a difference between being a post-millennial and theonomist, but we can do that some other day. (laughs) I really would like to talk to you about that. He thought thought that God's rule would come through revival and conversion. Right. Not not takeover. Not government. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but that's what most modern-day theonomists think that that is theonomy, right? That this whole revival thing... Uh, be- becomes a government takeover. For theonomy, email Jeremiah. <laughs> I don't care, bro. J at live.com. Let's talk about that. Theonomy's ridiculous. Anyway, so going back to what you're saying. Oh, man. I, we don't take a stance here on Theonauts, but we'll definitely take a stance against that one. So that was governmental uh, atonement. Right. Um, so let's see. What else do we ready have? Ready to hit the big one? I, we we got to do it. Okay. All right. We got the commercial one, but we'll, we can skip that one. Right. Oh, yeah. What is, no, let's talk about commercial. This is good. I is, like that, is that Jesus' God's advertisement? His, his Basic, commercial? Basically. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to become a Christian? Look at Jesus. 
this is Trice, how it'll look. Trice Jesus. Not, I'm not steps. sure I got the commercial one. I got the one blurb off of GotAnswers.org. Oh, really? <laughs> that said, I love GotAnswers.org. What did it say? It said, um, Christ was obedient to the cross and, and was given a reward that he couldn't use or that he didn't need, <laughs> and passed it on to us. This is up. You know what that makes you think of? It's like, you know, the brother, like, getting the the awesome reward. And it's like, he's like, I don't want Yeah, you want this? I don't want it. I want yeah. to use it for it. That happened a lot at our family's Christmas exchange this oh, yeah? year. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't need this. Yeah. Want it? Want it? Merry <laughs> Christmas. That's hilarious. There's so. no... There's got to be no scripture for that one. I saw no scripture for it. Okay. All right. So, all right. Let's let's satisfactory satisfaction or or the penal penal substitutionary atonement or uh, (laughs) ransom to God, not Satan. Right. True. Yes. So the question is, who is who are we saved from? And this one answers that yeah. question with, "We are saved from God." I've got God's a, wrath. I've got a good quote from from my boy Anselm here. So, <laughs> oh, you brought the yeah the book this with is you? Is documents that... of the Christian Church. This is a pretty good one. Oh, um, I thought it was the what was that Homo whatever that he wrote the the book. Oh that yeah, actually... um, it's like some light reading. Crude Deus Homo. Yes. Why why the God Man? I believe. Yeah yeah. And uh, so Anselm <laughs> is in the medieval time period, and I believe it's. Um, the ransom to Satan and the fishhook and versions of that atonement are very popular um, in the early medieval church. And right. Anselm um, doesn't think that's right, so he kind of expounds his theory, which becomes very popular in Protestantism. It was and, actually in Catholicism too, first. Uh-huh, right? Yeah, mm-hmm, for sure. And so this is going to be the substitution or satisfaction theory. And he says... Um, it is necessary that either the honor taken away from God should be repaid or punishment should be inflicted. Otherwise, one of two things follows. Either God is not just to himself or he is powerless to do what he ought to do. So Anselm's, he's kind of framing the problem for us. He says, we owe this infinite debt of honor to God. And mm-hmm. that, that debt is our everything, our life, our obedience. And so when we sin, we are robbing God of the honor that is his and we can't pay it back because we can't pay him any more than our whole right. life, right. our whole obedience. And so he says, we either we have to be punished or that debt has to be paid. And God can't just sweep sin under the rug because that's not the way his justice works. Correct. And so Anselm's answer um, is that um, satisfaction cannot be made unless there is someone able to pay to God for man's sin something greater than all that is besides God. Um, he's, he goes on to say, um, if God only can and man only ought to make this satisfaction, then necessarily one must make it who is both God and man. So this is also, um, an understanding of why Jesus has to be human and divine. That's good. says man should pay. God can pay. Hence the God man is the famous quote right. from this gotcha. book. Okay. Well, and this one to me makes the most sense as far as scriptural basis goes. True. Um, yeah. it has, Let's bring out some of that scripture. All right, so I mean, you can you can go back all the way to um, to the fall. Yeah, to the fall. As soon as the fall happens, Genesis three twenty one. Right, um, Lord God 
made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Mm-hmm. This is where did he get that first animal sacrifice noted mm-hmm. in scripture? Um, and blood was shed. Blood was to shed. Help cover that sin for the remission of sins. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you move on to the the giving of the law. Uh, Exodus twelve thirteen. The blood shall be assigned for you in the houses where you are. When I see the blood, oh, this is the Passover. I'm sorry, Exodus twelve thirteen. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you and destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, okay. So this whole thing of the Passover, which was, by the way, uh, if not the most, one of the most important things that God wanted the Israelites to remember, right? The Passover. This um, will be your new year. Yes, it, he the, marked the new year the by first it. of your year. Who sent the angel of death? God did, right? God went in and killed the Egyptians' firstborn, as well as any firstborn thing in mm-hmm. the land of Egypt. Um, to say that God uh, didn't do that is to go against Scripture, because right there, right. God sent the angel of death. Um, Which, by the way, that's part of the argument against this, is that to say that God requires a violent blood sacrifice puts him in the same category as pagan gods. Right. I mean, that's what that's where a lot of the people that are opposed to this well, we want to go. We see right here that God did require a blood sacrifice, and that sacrifice mm-hmm. was through the the lamb, right. a spotless lamb that was killed. Its blood was marked on the door, doorpost, and the angel of death would pass over. I mean, this is the picture mm-hmm. of Jesus in Scripture. Um, and so it, what is it? It's substitutionary atonement. Yeah. That lamb died so that no firstborn thing in the house but would die. One thing I want to mention in reference to this is God's goodness. Yes. Okay, so because that's what's in question is God's character. When people are opposed to it, right? That's right. what they're trying to say. That God that you're drawing in this, in this illustration, I can't serve mm. because that's not a good person. That's not a good God. But I believe it is right the opposite, because goodness mm-hmm. is about justice, right? If you if you're not if you if you're not a, a righteous judge, then you're not good, because then things that are immoral or evil goes unpunished. Right, and that's what Anselm's getting at. He says when God is going to act mercifully, he doesn't just set his justice aside. It has to be consonant with justice because Correct. those are in God. Those are the same thing. Mm-hmm. You can't toss one aside. Right. Right. Yeah. You have to understand so, like how big God is and how righteous He is in order for this to work. And that's why this one makes the most sense whenever you have that view of God. Right. And another another good answer to that would be the the story of Abraham and Isaac. Mm-hmm. Right. So God tells Abraham to sacrifice his one only son. Isaac takes him up on the mount, right? Uh, and he's right about to kill him, and God stops him at the very last second and says, I I provide the lamb. And this whole thing, God himself right. will provide the lamb. In the King James. Right. Another picture of Jesus. Right. Um, and this one, I mean, it's, it's a picture of us being set well, free. And, and before you get off of Abraham and Isaac, also think about this. God provided at that moment substitutionary sacrifice for Isaac. Right. So, I mean, a sacrifice was still required. It was still made. 
even though it wasn't actually his son that was the that became the sacrifice. Right. Um, in Exodus twenty nine, you have the the two uh, the scapegoat and the lamb. Right. The story mm-hmm. of the scapegoat and the lamb. Uh, the scapegoat, you put all the curses or something like that. I can't remember. And then you send it off. Like, you send it off in the wilderness. Yeah. Right? And then the other lamb, the spotless lamb, uh, Exodus 29, 41, 42, you shall offer it twilight, and she'll offer it with a grain offering and a, a drink offering. As in the morning, for a pleasing aroma of food offering to the Lord, it shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak with you there. So mm-hmm. the idea is this this offering is the one where, that brings God to meeting with man. Yeah. Right? Well, and stop and think also about the word sacrifice. We often lose track of what it means because we see it in reference to, like, pagans. Pagans making sacrifice. But what is a sacrifice in your personal life? It's, it's whenever you do away with something that you absolutely care about, right? So when a pagan is is doing is killing an infant or whatever, that's not the same thing. But here, like even in the, under the Old Testament, they were they were supposed to raise those lambs in their homes as pets so they could keep them blameless and spotless and all that sort of thing. They were supposed to love these things. And it was truly was a sacrifice to watch it die right. for you. So this idea, uh, I mean, it's further played out the entire book of Romans to me, <laughs> right? Is yeah, a picture right. starting with chapter one, talking about uh, the cost of our sin mm-hmm. being death and the fact that nobody is free from this. Um, and that's an offense to God. It's yes, being an enemy of his, right? And so uh, he he became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness, which is Romans. But Romans three twenty five twenty six, whom God put forward, this is Jesus, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Okay, so what does propitiation propitiation mean then? Uh, I had that one a second ago. Where'd it go? Computers, I tell you what. <laughs> the action. All right, here we go. Go ahead. Something that propitiates. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> this is the worst definition. Propitiation. Um, to be appeased or to make someone favorably inclined. Uh, yeah. The, the propitiation means a turning away from wrath mm-hmm. by a, a sacrifice or offering. Mm hmm. So God, Jesus was the propitiation of it our, saci- of our satiates or whatever. Satiates. That's right. Mm-hmm. It it uh it it appeases God. Right. God must His wrath must be appeased, and He poured His wrath out on on Jesus. The cup of wrath was given to Jesus instead of us, so that we might become His righteousness. Mm-hmm. That's the picture. Yeah. Um. And that's for me. This is the most scriptural. If we really want to talk about atonement. This is the most scriptural definition of atonement, that God's wrath was appeased through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and then his victory was made mm-hmm. when uh, when he was resurrected from the dead to show his power over sin and death, so that we, through his death, burial, and resurrection, may receive that righteousness, that uh, atonement. Anyways... 
Uh, I mean, it was an event that changed the universe. Yeah. And who are we to put that in a bucket? Amen. And I think that's kind of what, what we've been trying to do is, I mean, it's important to understand all these things, I think, to, to understand what happened at the cross. But at the same time, let's, let's not get you know greedy about, well, and you can, this you is can, the only thing that happened at the cross. You can learn something from all of these different atonement theories. <clears throat> uh, you know, from, from the ransom uh, theory, you can learn that Jesus was a ransom to ransom us back from being slaves, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so no longer are we slaves to sin and death, we're slaves to righteousness because of the ransom that was paid. From uh, the Christus Victor theory, you can learn that, that Christ was victorious from uh, over Satan, sin, mm-hmm. and death uh, through his resurrection. He was the, you know, he was he was a bomb that blew the gates yeah, of hell see, wide open. I, I love what Christus Victor says about the resurrection. Yes, I feel like a lot of t- maybe maybe they get a little confused in importing all that resurrection, conquering death imagery into the cross itself. Right. I don't know where where does the conquering actually happen, but it's a really cool statement of the effect. Yeah, exactly. And these are these are all effects. Uh, you can talk about the uh, recapitulation theory that says that God made all things right. Mm-hmm. Right? He recapitulated. He set back into order. Even the uh, the moral influence. God was our moral influence to correct us, and and He showed that through Jesus Christ. Right? He. He showed us the way that we should live, and that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. You just have to not take that one only. Yeah, right. Uh, mystical, whatever you said, I, <laughs> I don't remember. But you can take all of these, and in their own way, they they work. People see, uh, people see a Rubik's cube, and they say it's white, or they say it's orange, or they say it's red, or they say it's yellow. And the reality is, is it's so three dimensional. That's right. It's got six sides, and you can look at each one, and you can see all the effects of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, and you had something earlier good about metaphors. I can't remember what the quote was, but it's like when we try to take one of these metaphors describing something human, whether that's the legal way a debt gets paid off, or the way a sentence gets carried out on someone, or um, the way a ransom gets paid to someone holding a slave or something. We take one of those human metaphors and try to say that is the exact meaning of what God is doing. Mm-hmm. We get messed up because you have like Hebrews talks about these sacrifices in um, the earthly temple are shadows of what's really happening in heaven, yeah, right, right? So right. all these metaphors are just ways God gives us to understand what he is doing on the cross. So when we try to make one ultimate or try to say, oh, if I understand, you know, this metaphor of legal debts, then I perfectly understand, I understand the atonement. Right, you're, everything you're going to short yourself. Mm-hmm. And of course, what did you know? Isaiah told us, "My ways are not your ways." You know, talking about God, I'm, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. But man, we sure try to make it so. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's interesting. I'm trying to pull up the uh, that quote of Paul's mystery, the mystery of the gospel. Um, Paul basically says that that there's a mystery to it, right? Yeah. And I think that that's the, maybe it's, okay. No, that's not it. I should have had this quote pulled up earlier. Um, 
but in scripture, Paul defines the gospel as a mystery, mm-hmm. right? In the church, because yeah. it was something that was unspoken of in. And there's so many human in plain metaphors of the Old Testament, right? There's so many human metaphors that we can try to uh, equate with it, but in the end of the day, we have to accept the truth that that part of it is a mystery, mm-hmm. and we have to go on. And we need to be at one with the atonement. That's right. At one with the atonement. What do you mean by that? <laughs> at one minute? Oh, at one minute. Woof. Dude, I should have used that as the intro. Anyways, that's good. All right, uh, you ready for some news? Yeah. And now, the news. All right, so this week, Pakistan threatened nuclear war with Israel over a fake news story. All right, Dan. (laughs) You've heard about all these stupid fake news stories, right, online. People are really talking about, okay, what's real news, what's fake news. Uh, oh, come on. Is, are, is any of this, like, <laughs> Russian, uh, you know, intel trying to convince oh, wow. people yeah. about, you know, to vote for Trump and all this crap, which has been big time in the headlines? Well, Pakistan actually uh, bought a, a fake news site, hook, line, and seeker, and, uh, and threatened <laughs> nuclear war with Israel what, over it. What did it say? Uh, in case there were any doubts, this is from Relevant Magazine, in case there were any doubts about how serious this whole fake news trend has gotten. This weekend, it sparked threats of a real nuclear war. Pakistan <laughs> Defense Minister uh, Kawaja Asif apparently came across a headline that said, Israeli Defense Minister, if Pakistan sends ground troops to Syria on any pretext, we will destroy this country with a nuclear attack. The story from AWD News was completely fabricated, and the quotes were just made up, like most fake news stories. It wasn't based on any real facts, but as a work of complete fiction meant to fool readers in uh, in order to generate clicks and social media shares. He tweeted, Israel's defense mi- uh, minister threatens nuclear retaliation, presuming Pakistan's role in Syria against uh, Daesh. Israel forgets Pakistan is a nuclear state, too. <laughs> so they're reading the Babylon Bee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, so this, uh, yeah, the Pakistan defense minister basically tweeted out, if they threaten nuclear war, we'll threaten nuclear war. How dare they? And it was a total, like, wow. fake news site. So, oh my God. you know, this is really good for us to understand, especially if you're on Facebook. I mean, so much fake news is on Facebook now. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. It's ridiculous, yeah. I don't even want to be on social media, especially Facebook, because of all the fake news that's out there. And I and people getting all bent out of shape. I it. know. It's crazy. So, uh, you know, just check out what you're reading and ask Chill yourself out. if it's true or don't not. Don't believe anything on Facebook, please. Right. Seriously. You always have to go to Snopes.com. <laughs> yes. Well... This Snow- is Snopes 100% accurate? I don't know about it. It's 100%. a lot better than Facebook is. <laughs> they've researched it in any in any way. So they at least they're researching the, the news stories and yeah. myths and whatnot. Mm. So. I mean, it's odd. I, I don't know. All right. Uh, need help fasting? There's an app for that. This is also from Relevant Magazine. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a fasting app out. Why didn't we jump on this, by the way? Um, I'm sure it's not the first. I mean, we had... You know, prayer at Theonauts podcast. Uh, what was it? Theononymous. That was yeah. brilliant. But fasting. Okay. In fact, that's uh, if the fact that smartphones have made it possible for you to carry an entitled Bible around your pocket hasn't lost its appeal to you, then you're going to be thrilled with the new app that was designed to help you fast. For years, developers have been 
uh, tapping into the churchgoer market have created everything from devotional apps to tithing apps. Even entire churches have their own apps now. At this point in history, it really was only a matter of time until we were given an app to help us fast. The app is called Zero. <laughs> wow. <laughs> It's like, it shock you whenever you put food in your mouth. It was named after the amount of food you eat while fasting. Seriously. This is the actual reason. If you're anything like us, you're probably wondering what the inspiration behind the idea like that was. The type of spiritual enlightenment took place to compel someone to make fasting user-friendly. Well, it should come as no surprise the app was a simple name with the app with the simple name was formed from a simple observation. Zero was created by a man named Kevin Rose, who was inspired to create the app after learning about Hugh Jackman's fasting regime he used to prepare uh, to play Wolverine. On his blog, he wrote, I, start, wow. I started Hugh's protocol of fasting for 16 hours, followed by an eight-hour eating window. For me, that meant fasting just after dinner and then resume again at lunch. Within seven days, I had dropped five pounds. I knew it was wait. So a wait a minute, this is a weight, weight loss thing. <laughs> that's not fasting, right? That's the big deal. Like, <laughs> so Christians are going to download this, and um, yeah, it's not. I can effectively fast. practice. So when God tells you to fast, He wants you to become Wolverine. That's yeah. Exactly what he's <laughs> I want you to be lean and mean and grow some claws. That's what he's saying. Interesting. I just think it's hilarious. It's called zero. That's the best. Is, thing is it a it. problem though that we we confuse fasting so much with with weight loss? I think or it's so. I think it's slimming so typical. down. It's. Ugh. I think it's typical of our American mindset because we mm-hmm. we won't fast just to know God. No. Or to pray. Have a hungry. We, we, we want to fast gains. to look yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> right. Get ripped and know God. Well, it's a it's a picture of the human condition, right? Yeah. Selfish ambition. In the form of fasting religious. is about denying your is about denying yourself, but and even this is then, making about making like self improvement, right? Even <laughs> then, you know, it, it's giving it a selfish. We take something that's supposed to be completely selfless and we give it a selfish bit. That's the whole thing. That's right? what we do best, right? I know. Seriously, church. What other? Oh my god! Disciplines Worship. can we ruin with an app? Yeah, I mean, preaching. Think about it. Mm-hmm. Like so much of this is so like. We take it and Christian we, podcast. Seriously. <laughs> Way to go. All right, I'm done. <laughs> Turn it off the mic now. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> that's hilarious. But that, that's the truth. We, you know, it, it's so sad. We need to check our motives, I guess, at the door. Mm. So if you're downloading Zero mm. Act to get closer to God, maybe, you know, join a gym and, and don't put a Christian <laughs> bent over it. I'm just saying. All right, anyways, the top 10 biblical archaeology discoveries of 2016. Don Redeem. Yeah. Don Redeem. Dude, you say the that. Skull of Goliath. I was laughing the Skull earlier. of Goliath. Is that on the list? <laughs> Lots wide. Close. We'll talk about it in a second. All right. Number 10, ancient papyrus mentions Jerusalem. Pretty cool. Uh, let's see. The inscription that was found... It's a non-biblical Hebrew language reference to Jerusalem. Um, and it says, From the king's maidservant from Naharat, uh, jars of wine to Jerusalem. Dated in the 7th century B.C. Wow. it's a long time ago. That's cool. Yeah. Mm. It was from Israel's first temple period. Mm. So, I mean, that's ancient yeah. right there. Uh, ancient, An ancient glass factory was found. 
uh, archaeologists excavated, excavated, excavated the remains of the glass production facility at the foot of Mount Carmel near Hyphia, where it was discovered by workers of the Jezreel Valley Railroad Project. Oh, weird. Huh. I thought glass was invented in Italy. No. Or somewhere. Am no. I totally off on that? Yeah. I guess I am. <laughs> glass is ancient, isn't it? It's invented by lightning. Right. Striking sand. sand. Basically. <laughs> Anyways, sunken junk <laughs> from Caesarea Maritima. Uh, old time, old metal objects were typical... Uh, typically melted and recycled. So a ship that sank on the way to the recycler offered a treasure trove of ancient metal objects when its cargo was discovered by scuba divers. Uh, it sat at the sea, uh, bottom of the sea for 1,600 years. Wow. Yeah, and most bronze objects include idols, lamps, several clumps of coins. Um, Solomon's Palace at Geezer. We talked about this. A while back, Did at we? the beginning of the year, yep. The monumental residence built in the tw- 10th uh, century B.C. was excavated. Um, it was dubbed Solomon's Palace, even though there's no direct con- uh, connection with the Israelite king. Um, outside of the dating, which was done through pottery remains. Um, so, um, it might have been Solomon's Palace, but it was a big palace. That's what they found. <laughs> Hundreds of Roman writing tablets... The Temple Mount floor designs were identified this, this oh, year. Oh, wow. Yeah, so um, that's pretty cool. They illegally excavated him from the Jerusalem's Temple Mount in 1999. Before they were chased by Al-Qaeda guys. <laughs> Al-Qaeda guys. <laughs> Giant Al-Qaeda guys. <laughs> this is what cracks me up because we're talking about that. Philistine Cemetery excavation. <laughs> <laughs> If you guys have not seen Don Verdeen, <laughs> you got to go watch it. <laughs> I believe I have located the skull of Goliath. Uh, the excavations took place over three summers, uh, but were Johnny revealed only in 2006. I, I love this quote here at the end. It oh, was, yeah. It was a gold mine of a cemetery. <laughs> <That's so good. laughs> that was from Daniel Master, a Wheaton College profession, uh, professor. It was a gold mine of a cemetery they, they just uncovered. All right, let's see. Hold on. I uh, didn't have that up. The last three. Um, let's see. The Stone Is this Jar a Factory. Yeah. Number one. Stone Jar Factory found near Cana. The Lashish Gate Shrine that illustrates Hezekiah's reforms. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And the Unsealing the Tomb of Christ. Wait, what? I'm just going to read this. The most notable aspect (laughs) of repairs that took place at the traditional tomb of Christ in October, the first look inside the tomb in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre since uh, at least the year 1515. Oh, wow. 1555, sorry. So the last time they went inside the Tomb of Christ, which is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which you disagree with. I know you've been there, right? Yeah, I tend to believe it's Gordon's Calvary. Gordon's Calvary. A lot of people think that it's... Well, it's the the Catholic Church. There's a lot of there's a lot of historical memory there right. that puts it right there. 1555 so. is that the workmen found just what they expected: the badly in need repair marble, uh, edicule. Is that edicule? 
Edicule, Edicule, sorry, that surrounded the tomb was stripped down to the limestone platform where the body of Jesus was believed to have been laid after his crucifixion. It appears to be visible proof that the location of the tomb has not shifted through time, something that scientists and historians have wondered about for decades. Did they find the last words of Joseph of Arimathea? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's see. The original limestone cave walls of the tomb were also preserved to a higher level than expected inside the edicule. So the first time that it's been open since 1555. Pretty cool. Anyways, those were the most notable... Top ten. That's pretty much all I have. I haven't read this last one, and I don't want to go into it. So, cool. Anyways, we got some uh, voicemail. We do have some voicemail. So it's playing catch up time here. Yeah, we haven't been here in two hey. weeks. Oh, oops. Sorry. Big cinema. Oops. Guys, I just uh, big. I don't cinema. know what's going on here. What are you saying? Okay, here we go. Ready? Who are you? Scratch that. David Boy, Jeremiah, it's your boy Brendan from the Finding Christ in Cinema. Guys, I just listened to the episode on the Christmas carols, very insightful, and very politically correct, I must say. (laughs) One of my favorite Christmas carols is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I... I wish you guys would have talked about it, but I'm glad you didn't because it lets me do it. Uh, one line in particular that that I always have to meditate on, then I say throughout the year, is in one of the verses, uh, the line says, Mild he lays his glory by. And, you know, the end of the song, he goes, Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man, no more may die. Hey, that's a freebie. That's a freebie. That's what we call in Tennessee a freebie. <laughs> but I, but that line, mild he lays his glory by. I always enjoy listening to and enjoy reflecting on because it's it's so comforting to know that the God that created the universe was willing to set aside that glory and save us from sin and death and destruction and it 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 warms my heart every time every time I hear that song and every time I sing that song. Uh thank you guys for the episode. Merry Christmas. Uh guys, I love you both and you know it. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy holiday season. We need to plan the G C T and get together for twenty seventeen. It's gotta happen. It has to happen okay thanks bye <laughs> <laughs> awesome hey were you were you uh uh keen on some of the conversation we were having on facebook about uh about uh, it was ron poteet in um one of our listeners who uh went to the shakespeare tavern right. yeah yeah in yeah. atlanta georgia right and i had been there and i was like oh i know that place that's an awesome place and that's uh, so i was joking about coming in and having dinner there and then doing a and everybody yeah. was like, "Oh yeah!" And then it could be Michael and Brendan could come, and it could be the best date ever, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's awesome. Well, uh, thank you, Brendan, for your uh, contribution. And Hark and Harold and Angel are great. I like that song. It's a good one, man. Good call. Yeah, thanks, man. All right, here we go. 
Hey, David and Jeremiah, this is John Wilkerson from strugglingforpurpose.com and 10 the podcast. And I wanted to make a few comments or give a little feedback on Advent. See, I grew up in Germany mostly for most of my childhood, and my mother is German. And so Advent was a big part of our Christmas traditions. But it was from a secular point of view. It wasn't until later in life, until after I became a Christian, and after I started studying Advent, that I came to realize the significance and the symbolism that was in the tradition. So for me, Advent is kind of this mixed bag of memories from my childhood and a tradition that I have set up in my family. What happened? I think it's been oh. <laughs> 10 years now that we've done Advent. Maybe, maybe less, but we've been doing Advent in my family for a long time now. And when I first started looking into it, I didn't understand, like I said, I didn't understand the symbolism. And so... I spent a lot of time researching Advent and the history behind it, and at first things were really just on a surface level. I would go through the motions and say, okay, this is the first week of Advent, this is what it symbolizes, and so on and so forth. And it really wasn't until this year when I really, really started digging in that I found a passion for Advent and the Advent season. I've been leading it at church. I started started it up at my church, and I take five minutes every morning with the entire congregation and lead it at church. I'm so glad that my pastor has allowed me to do that. I bring the kids up, and we talk about Advent, and hopefully this will spur a tradition in other people's churches as well, and other people's families. I hope that what you're sharing about Advent will bless others because I I cannot think of a, outside of Easter, I can't think of a tradition that more symbolizes the gospel than Advent because, like you guys mentioned, we look forward to the return of Christ but also look back in remembrance to when he first arrived on earth. And it just ties the entire biblical narrative together. Even when you look in the Old Testament, the Old Testament, they had an anticipation of the coming Messiah. And the whole biblical narrative is kind of smashed into Advent. And that's what I I think I love about it so much. Well, guys, keep up the great work. I love listening to you guys talk. I love listening to you guys uh, talk about Texas. Talk about Texas more in your podcasts. I lived in Texas for 13 years. I moved away, and my heart is still in Texas. I so want to go back there, but it's too hot for my wife. So I, I don't know if I can get back there. I got to make a trip. My brother lives in the Dallas area, so maybe I can pop in and talk to see you guys sometime. Anyway, keep up the great work. God bless. Bye. Thanks, John. Wow, that's neat. Uh, it's a good, good comments on Advent, John. I love that. Uh, but uh, 
I'm sorry you moved away from Texas. It's so sad. <laughs> it's a great place. I want to plant you know, Jer- my flag here the first year I came. Oh, yeah, you did. I love Texas. I love the state of Dude, Texas. Dude, come on. I cannot stand how proud people are of this state. <laughs> and the fact that I'm an OU fan does not help it out. But honestly, as far as living in states, there's no other state I'd rather live in than Texas. Wow. Amen. I'm going to hold you to that. I'm, I've always I'm, said I'm that. I'm glad I'm recording. Have I not always said that? I've always <laughs> said that. I love the state of Texas. It's just close enough where I can watch the most wonderful football team in the world play football. Texas Longhorns? No. Oh. Two hours away from here, north, is a little town called Norman. <laughs> it's in Oklahoma. The Sooners play. But anyways, so uh, he has a, such a smooth voice. He has a podcast, smooth right? Smooth as silk. Yeah. Yeah. What's his podcast? Uh, you had to ask. I know <laughs> I know he does. The, uh, he did the Wired Homeschool uh, thing. That's right, yeah. And that's that's what I know him from. Cool. So. Well, yeah, he has a very, very smooth. He almost sounds NPRish. That that audio quality, though, I know, it's clean, man. <laughs> so good, it's clean. So, anyways, uh, hopefully you get down here and we'll put you on the podcast, dude. Yeah, love to see Let's you. Do that. So, uh, anyways, anything uh, else? Oh, I do have an email. Okay, from Richard. Oh, cool. Yeah, it says, uh, "Hi, I just listened to the latest Theo Knots episode. I really like the show. However, one thing that stood out to me." In the episode was the email from Michelle Chadwick and your response to it. I grew up with a lot of misconceptions about Roman Catholics and about Roman Catholicism. It goes with the territory when you are Protestant from Northern Ireland. I found Michelle's gracious email to be very interesting and thought-provoking. I know that there are many people beside me who have misconceptions about the Catholic Church. Therefore, I think perhaps a Theonauts episode with an interview with perhaps a Catholic priest to talk about the misconceptions people have about the Roman Catholic Church could be very helpful. It may also be interesting to do interviews with clergy from various Christian denominations, as most people have different perceptions about these denominations, and it could also be a good way to find common ground with believers from other denominations. In Christ, Richard. So that's cool. Yeah, thanks, Richard. It's good. So when uh, you know, we've I, I actually have some some, uh, some contacts. We could <laughs> we could do that. Oh yeah, <laughs> that that might be interesting. Be, it would be. I've never interviewed show. a priest. You could do Pope news. Yeah, <laughs> the whole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, have you heard <laughs> from the Pope lately? <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Anyways. All right, so you ready to get out of here, man? Dude, let's uh, blow hand, this. Hand me the script of there so we can do <laughs> hey, this thing. Hey, right. by the way, thank you, Riley and Jack, for being here. Oh, thanks for having yes, us. Yes, man. It is always great. Always a pleasure to have extra Theonauts in the, uh, yeah. in the podcast. It's funny man. how theological it is whenever we have you guys on board. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> Most other times we're just talking and joking, but we have to get serious <laughs> Whenever the Neil boys come to play. Yeah. It's good stuff. Um, all right. Well, let's roll, man. Here, you read that that part right there, J.O. I'm not doing that for you. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm trying to get out of it. Wow. I can't like believe he did he's that. He's old school now. Seriously. Like, he, he doesn't need to do that. I don't need to do that. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network using new media and social networking. Go to, but, 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 social networking. 
to go into all the world and to proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, stay up to date with all our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema. Hi, I'm Riley. Visit our website at theonotpodcast.com for new show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. And don't be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. Dude, that was so spot on. Give me this. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line at 972-885-7270. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. <laughs> like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theonauts. If you like us and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash theonauts. Your patronage helps us in expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. Don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's God's word word. with us. All right, everybody. Thanks for being here, brothers. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, God bless. Peace out, Bane. This has been the Theonauts (laughs) Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. Eight eight five seven two. What was that? Love to hear from you. You are tuned into the GCT network. This is your great commission transmission at gctnetwork.com. Oops. You ought not done that to you, boy.